go. You hear me now? Yeah. All right. You can get your worship guides out, your Bibles if you want. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning as we continue our series. You asked for it. Before we get into that, uh, let me introduce myself. If you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Derek. Everybody say good morning, PD. And it's an awesome privilege to uh, be with you this morning, uh, connecting with you. We had a good worship experience so far. So thankful for the Dream Team and, and the worship team and all you guys that make this a great experience. Love being at church. Uh, it's a little chilly out today, but it's, you know, cold, I've had cold hands, warm heart, right? So when we're shaking hands, maybe we just got to say that. You know, sorry about the cold hands, warm heart. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, great to be here. I want to uh, quickly uh, remind you guys that this Tuesday, be praying as a church. Uh, we have pastors and leaders coming in from all over the place for our Relate One Day event. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, uh, I know a lot of you are. Um, we have uh, dozens and dozens of volunteers who've taken time off from work uh, to participate and serve on that day. If you're um, a part of the church family, you know that we have a strategic partnership with just coaching and, and pastoring leaders all over the place. We believe that God puts favor on our church when we help other churches. And a lot of times, churches in particular in New England are very territorial, very isolated, very insulated, you know, praying in corners, you know, all by themselves, us four, no more, you know, and uh, a lot of that going on. And we just want to help the body of Christ, you know, and encourage the entire church to be able to reach our communities. And so Relate is going to be here. Um, if you weren't able to serve on that Tuesday uh, because of work and things like that, totally appreciate that. But uh, we do have a little bit of a serve day today, right after service. So if you're interested and you just, you wanted to couldn't, uh, this thing's going in and out a little bit. If you wanted to serve but you couldn't, um, you can today. We have child care and uh, food, of course. I always have food at my church. Uh, that'll be right after second service. We're just going to, this whole building is being used. Uh, literally every single room in this building is being used. Uh, but the auditorium's got to be kind of turned into a, kind of a meeting place. And so if you're interested, come help us out after church. A couple of hours, we're going to make the place uh, uh, look a little different in very short order. Amen? Um, let's see. How do I want to start this? We're talking about... Uh, sex today. Um, what about, and specifically, not just sex, but actually sexual sin? And the reason for that is because you asked for it. <laughs> so I didn't want to do this, but you wanted to do this. So just keep that in mind as we go forward today. Um, this was one of the uh, surveyed questions from our church. Um, and uh, I know that, you know, I heard, I heard a story a long time ago, you know, that, that uh, men think about sex a lot. And uh, there's actually a statistic that says men think about sex on days beginning with T, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, today, tomorrow, Saturday and Tunday. <laughs> so think about it a lot. <laughs> so, but when we get going, um, one of the things that I want to submit right up front is that culture can't dictate, you know, the standards as it relates to sex. We have to have some absolutes in our life. And I, 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 we see that in other areas, and we say that's important, but when it comes to this, sometimes we're, uh, we have some gray. And um, God's word, I just want to encourage you to let it be your guide. And, and, and think about it from this, from this viewpoint. We always think of God as a restrictive God, but the truth is he's a protective God. So he created sex. I mean, that's a cool God. I mean, he put two people naked in paradise. You know, I just did a wedding yesterday, the couple's going off on a honeymoon for two weeks, you know what I mean, down like in Mexico, and 
I mean, God, that's how he started the whole thing. Not two weeks, like the, every day. So he's a good God. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, he's a good God. All right. So I want to also say that if you come from a church background, uh, if you predominantly come from a church background, you'll probably, probably be a lot more uncomfortable in this service than people who come from a non-church background. Um, so just, you know, buckle up for that. Um, and you might never have heard a pastor go where I'm going to go today. I'll just get, like, for example, I'm going to use the word publicly, masturbation. Some of you are like, oh my gosh. <laughs> You're going to hear that word again later. You, you might hear the word oral sex. You might hear the word homosexuality. These are things that are going to come up today. So somebody's like, you know, get me out of here, page my kid out of here so I can go downstairs. Um, so I'm just saying I might offend a few people, but again, you know, you asked for it. So turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 4, look in your worship guide, or follow along on version. Three questions about sex that I'm going to attempt to answer today. Um, the first question related to sexual immorality, sexual impurity, okay, is, is, is this. Am I trying to please myself or God? When it comes to sex, am I trying to please myself or am I trying to please God? Now, if you're not a follower of Christ, no, you're, it's very obvious what that answer is. We're, we kind of, we're, we're on the top, we're in the throne of our life, so we are living to please ourselves. Uh, but I also want to submit to you, if you are a Christ follower, we have a tendency, though, and wrestle with and struggle with pleasing ourselves as well. Now, the, my son was just quoting a scripture from 2 Corinthians 5 just a few minutes ago that we're a new creature in Christ Jesus, a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone. What's the old? It's that old nature. There's like a, there's a nature battle, God's nature, and then our inherent sinful nature. And really, whichever one, you ever heard the story of the two huskies, and they're twin huskies, and, and, and the owner was just riding, you know, riding in a sled, and the two huskies are pulling, and, and the guy comes up to says, oh, those are beautiful dogs. They're, they're, they're literally identical. You know? um, and then he says, which one of the dogs is the strongest? And the guy says, whichever one I feed the most. And that's how it is with our sinful nature and our godly nature. So even as Christians, we can have a tendency to default towards that old nature. But in Christ, we can become strong. Is that, is that an amen out there from somebody? But you know that we have this tendency to be selfish, don't we? I mean, turn to your neighbor just say, you know, you're selfish. <laughs> Some of you have been wanting to say that ever since you got in this morning. You're like, I needed permission to tell him that. Thank you so much, Pastor. He ate all my Chick-fil-A french fries last night, and I am angry about that still. Yeah. So I didn't realize how selfish I was until I got married, and in particular until I had kids, or how selfish we can all be. You know? I mean, think about, do you ever get upset like I do when you, you go into the refrigerator to get a drink of something, and there's the humongous pitcher that takes up three quarters of the refrigerator, and there's two drops of orange juice in it because some moron put it back that way. I'm just going to work some stuff out here. I'm just going to work some stuff out here. Or when you walk through the garage and there's a trash bag that had been put there earlier because we didn't take it all the way out to the trash can and the dog got into it and ripped it all apart and then for the next 24 hours we all walked by that, all the whole family. But my son, I think, cleaned it up if I'm not mistaken. So I got to give it up for Devin. He cleaned it up. 
hour, whatever, 24, something like that. But yeah. But we're all walking by that. You know, that's not my fault. That's the dog's fault. <laughs> Selfish people. Parents, you know what it's like when your kid won't sleep and you just, you just want to sleep. And you call the doctor and you're like, can I put NyQuil in the bottle? Is that okay? You know, you start, you start thinking different, you know, because of selfishness. The point is we all have a streak of selfishness that's unbelievable. Isn't it true? And so as Christ followers, we have to come to a place, you know, in our walk with God where we decide, am I going to please myself or am I going to please God? That's every area of our life, but it's, in particularly, it's particularly um, real when it comes to our bodies. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4.1. It says this. Paul speaking says, finally, everybody say finally. finally. Paul, Paul's funny. Paul's, Paul's gonna, he's like acting like he's going to wrap this up, and then he writes two more chapters. So I, I have a heart right out for Paul. Uh, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to live in a way that pleases God as we taught you. Live in a way that pleases God. Actually, there's another term in the Bible. It uses the, it, call, it said it's, it's uh, dead in Christ. Anybody ever heard that word? Dead in Christ. You know what I mean? Um, and it basically, it's talking about dead to myself. It's not self-denial because self is still on the throne in self-denial. It's denial of self. A Christ follower is one who denies self, not who practices self-denial. Some of you guys are going, well, I don't really understand what's going on there. Okay, so it's like dead to the world and its, and its passions and its desires and alive to Christ and his passion and his desire. It's, it's a daily deal. It's something we do always because of our tendencies, because we often live in a way that displeases him. And then what happens is, and this is what self-denial leads to, it leads to falling, failing, repent, fall, fail, repent, fall, fail, repent, cycle, 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 over and over and over again. And that's a lot of the Christian experience because we haven't learned what it means or what it looks like to crucify the flesh as opposed to just uh, self-practice, self-denial. And so God wants to teach us how to do that. And we'll talk about that a little bit. I'll probably try to illustrate that in a colorful way, hopefully, before we end today. But I'm amazed, though, that when um, subjects like this are talked about, actually, recently I got a, an email, a uh, text message, I should say, from a... Um, mature Christian, and they were saying, I'm so glad you're going to talk about this. You know, these young people, they need to hear about, you know, this whole subject, sexual immorality. You need to hear about that, you know? And, and just to be clear, yeah, you do, young people, you need to hear about that, okay? So, yep, uh-huh, next. But, this, but the same people sometimes that, quote, are mature, and they want us to hear, or they want certain groups of people to hear this or that, are spending more time policing other people's behavior and not their own. They're the same people that are practicing all kinds of sinful behaviors and have and often forget their own sexual past in history and are not looking through that windshield of grace and truth, just truth, but no grace. And it's sad. And it's sad. And so, because we're all bought with a price according to God's word. And when you know you were bought with a price, you behave differently and you interact and treat other people differently who stumble, who fall. Because we all stumble and fall in many ways. Who's without sin? Amen? Verse 2, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 2. It says, you live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we were taught by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Paul's saying, I didn't come up with this. Jesus did. Verse 3, it says, it is God's will. Everybody say that. It's God's will. In the Greek, that means it is God's will. That's the interpretation of that, okay? 
And then anytime you read where it says this is God's will, whatever follows, that's the, that's the God's will part that you're supposed to do, okay? So it says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. I'm going to say it Pentecost. Sanctified! <laughs> sanctified. Like, that's, my, you know, that, that's how some people are sanctified, blood bought, blood washed, you know, precious Jesus, you know. And that's kind of how people do. It's like old-time religion. Sanctified, I think this is in your notes, it means to be set apart. I have a friend who said, be set apart so you don't come apart. You got to be set apart. It doesn't mean you're disconnected from the world physically, but in your hearts, you are set apart. You protected your heart. Like, I feel I have a responsibility to protect and shield my daughters, protect their heart. I'm a guardian for their heart, you know? So there's a physical part of that. But we have a responsibility to guard our own heart. The Bible says in Proverbs 4, above all else, guard your heart. For out of it are the issues of life. Everything flows and comes from everything begins and ends, really, with the heart at the end of the day. But we need to be set apart. It's actually, the theological terms, it's called progressive sanctification. It's, we're saved, but we're continually being saved. It's sanctification. We're working out, and Philippians says, you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. God is doing a process of you being purified. Sanctified, sanctified. Turn your name and say sanctified. So Paul goes there and he says that you should be sanctified. Then he gets even more specific about God's will. Remember, whatever follows that God's will statement is God's will. And here it is, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Oh, no, he didn't. Mm-hmm, yeah, he did. He goes there into this subject. He addresses something that he knows can keep us sidelined or sidetracked and not in the end zone, let's just say. And so I'll back up by just saying this. Um, We all have struggles in different areas. Like, for example, I've always struggled with food, borderline at different times. Is anybody willing to say, you know, you know what I'm talking about at least? You know, like food. You know what I mean? Like, can you feel it in the room? Like Entenmann's Danish, a picture of that, like I have a moment. Like it, it affects me emotionally. You know, um, I, I, like, I, I like oatmeal raisin cookies. You guys, last week, or a couple weeks ago for Pastor Appreciation, there were like 12,000 oatmeal raisin cookies downstairs. I went towards the end just so that I didn't break down. You know what I mean? But uh, anyway, um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, oatmeal raisin cookies. Um, chocolate ice cream. Just the, anyway, I've had this, this weakness, you know, this propensity towards certain things. But, but to be sanctified in that area requires that I have to walk away from that. I can't just, you know, just, just hang out with it all the time and immerse myself in buckets of cookies. You know what I mean? It, sanctification does require sometimes some sacrifice. And it's God's will to be sanctified. In order to be sanctified uh, in, in, in the sexual area, there's things that you have to walk away from in order to be sanctified. And a lot of people don't want to do that. The Greek word for sexual immorality is an English word, pornea, or Greek word, excuse me, pornea, where we get the English word, what? Pornography. Pornography. And a lot of times people, you know, I've had guys say, I don't see anything in the Bible that says it's against pornography. Like the whole word comes from that. Sexual immorality is from the word. I mean, pornea is where we get all the stuff, you know, in there. The term sexual morality is based on that word. But to be, but to be more and more like Jesus, must, we have to be willing to walk away. And actually, 
believe it or not, teach others to do the same thing when it comes to sexual immorality. And he doesn't, in Scripture, you don't see every single list of things that are wrong, but you see this overarching statement. He does get pretty specific on a lot of stuff, but he gives this overarching statement, this overarching word, sexual immorality. And the reason God addresses this subject, in my opinion, in the opinion of, 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 of other people, and I hope it matters, but there's just no greater sin, actually, that has the potential to destroy the work of God in your life than sexual sin. I'll say that again. There's really no greater sin to destroy the work of God in your life than sexual sin. Most of the counseling problems you know, that I see, in particular with singles, but also in married couples, too, probably like number two in there, it's, a lot of times it comes back to this arena of sexual sin. And some people say, well, all sins are the same. And you know what? I have to say that vertically you are correct. Between you and God, yes, one sin weighs the same as a thousand. He doesn't categorize those. But horizontally, in terms of the impact it has on the people in your life and on you, no, I, I disagree with you formally. Sexual sin is, can be very, very destructive. In fact, I've asked many times, I've asked different genders this, but I'll just use girls. I've asked women this, but if, you, if I asked a woman, let's just take the Bible out of the equation. I remember one time dealing with a woman, she had been married three times. Actually, I could tell you another story about a woman who was married ten times. Ten times. But in both instances, I basically asked a similar question. If we just take the Bible out of this equation, you know, what is your position on sex, you know? And she just, you know, I've had it before, you know, why can't I do it again, and what's God's standards, and all that kind of stuff. I said, you know, let's just forget what the Bible has to say about it. Has sex outside of marriage brought complications and confusion in your life? And she, in both, in both instances, they got emotional. In one case, this person started to bawl because it's what happens. And because it's not because God's trying to restrict you. He's trying to protect you. And if you started unraveling some of the relationships and some of the deepest regrets and the most difficult situations in your life, it usually goes back to a sexual experience of some sort that usually is compounded by confusion and complications for people. It grossly affects our judgment and our decisions. And I would just say, I'm bold enough to say it always doesn't work out when we don't do it God's way. Eventually. Eventually. Maybe for a season. Anyway, next question, number two. Am I, here we go, it's going to get, it's going to get better. Any two, am I believing any lies about sex? Am I believing any lies about sex? Again, this is all under the topic of what about sexual morality? You asked for it. Am I believing any lies about sex? Now, here's what I'll say about this. I think there's a tendency, a default for us, Christian or non-Christian sometimes, uh, to justify immoral behavior justify immoral behavior. Uh, the Bible has some strong stuff to say about this, but we, in other words, we once believed certain things at a point in our time, point in our life, point in time in our life that we thought were wrong. And then we crossed the line in what we said we believed, and this is what normally happens. This is what happens a lot. Instead of changing our behavior now to conform to what we said we believed, we changed our beliefs to conform to our new behavior. And this is what culture has done over and over and over again. And that's why we have the redefinition of everything behaviorally. Because we are no longer holding to absolutes or a God standard. We're making those standards up as we go. And I'm submitting to you that has created havoc relationally for people. 
and we want to instead conform to behavior instead of conforming to beliefs, which I believe are there in our best interest. And, and this is a problem. In John 8, 44, uh, Jesus is talking to some religious people in your notes, and he says this. He's talking to religious people, pretty strong here. He says, for you are children of your father, the devil. That kind of commentary went over really well. They're probably thinking, we love this guy. Um, you're the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. Jesus really didn't mess around, did he? He was a murderer from the beginning. He was always, he's always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character. Or your Bible might say, one translation says, he's speaking his native tongue. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is, the Bible says in John 8, 44, the father of lies. And what he tries to get us to do or see or believe, and this is, we say it's culture, but I'm just saying that the culture is influenced by something, and I would say someone. And so culture is trying to say the best way to understand something is to experience it, Right? And so, you know, hey, you know, you can't marry that girl before you test drive it. That's what people say, you know. I mean, we just think of that mentality, which we've all heard, you know. I could, I could get more graphic with some of the things that, you know, I hear. Versus when I was growing up, this is, this is the boundaries or standards for, for sexual behavior. Um, I can hear my daddy saying, you know, I, I, I call this the principle of tan lines. If the sun don't go there, then nobody else's sun should go there either. <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? Now, you can't say that because girls are wearing dental floss. Because the sun's going everywhere. Sun's going everywhere. And so are other people's sons. And it's a scary day. And so the, 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 I think the enemy, Satan, the father of lies, is saying we can better understand darkness from a position of light. Excuse me. We can better understand darkness from a position of darkness. But God says we can better understand darkness from a position of light. Think about when you go into a room and it's totally pitch black. Oh, let's go into the pitch black room and find out what's going on in here. No. Ephesians 5.13 says everything, all darkness becomes visible in the light. So you got to flip on the light switch to be able to understand it better. That's what God's trying to say with the subject of sex. You can understand it better from a position of light. And here's what's dangerous. A lot of people, you know, we say some of the same things that Satan says and we don't even realize we're doing it. Because we don't know what God's word says about it. I'm going to keep going. 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 4 through 6, it says... Each one of you should learn to control, learn to control, learn to control. I, feel, I hear Janet Jackson in the background. This is so huge. Learn to control your own body. This is a massive Christian paradigm and or discipline. People say, well, pastor, it's really, really tough. It's really, really tough. And I'm going to be dangerously honest with you here as your pastor. There is no area that, is, that I have struggled with in my life more than this area of sexual temptation. Not one. Entenmann's Danish, pff, bing, bugs on the wind, windshield for me. All right? It is tough. I get it. I totally get it. And I say that because there's people listening online. There's people listening in the room. And you're thinking you're the only one who has this struggle. You don't know what, I, you don't know what I'm feeling. You don't know how tough it is. You don't know how hard it is. Listen, that's why... Based on what I just told you, maybe that makes you more nervous. I don't know. But that's why I go to extremes 
to protect myself and to walk away from those type of temptations. I do things most people aren't willing to do. And, then, and that's why they don't sometimes get the results that they really want to get, or better yet, God wants to get, because I'm not just trying to please myself. I want to please God. And I want to stand before him, and I want to have not a trophy wife in this life, but a trophy marriage that sustained and thrived in this life and was a testimony to those around me. But that required that I put deterrence in my life that protected my sexual purity, protected my marriage. And I've done a lot of things to do that, to minimize the possibility of something going wrong. That's why I avoid certain TV shows and programs and movies and things like, like that. I have my passwords and all my uh, computers and iPads and phone. It's totally accessible to my assistant, to my wife. There's nothing, there's nothing private. Yesterday I was doing a, mar- uh, a wedding. And I was talking about the difference between a contract marriage and a covenant marriage. A covenant marriage, there are certain responsibilities that we pick up and certain, let's say, rights and privileges that we give up. And one of the things that we decide to, we decide to give up is privacy. And this is one of the reasons why people get into so much sexual sin and problems and they're Literally, their lives are destroyed is because they're not an open book. And I think everything from our Facebook to our checkbook should be an open book. I think all our passwords and all our life should be open. And the fact that it's not says there's not trust. And if there's not trust, you don't have anything. You're not trusting God if you can't trust your spouse. Mm. It's getting quiet in here. And that's why, you know, I have a, some people say, you know, what else do you do? Well, I mean, I never meet with the opposite sex alone. Ever. You know, there's windows everywhere. My, my entire schedule is, is naked and open before many, many people. And, 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 I, and I, I get counseling quarterly with my wife for my marriage. I say, is it really messed, is that messed up? I said, no, I just go to keep it from getting messed up. So that anything that needs to pop up can pop up. And unfortunately, sometimes it does. When I'll be like, I thought we were great. But anyway, it, it, but it's good. It's good to get that out, you know, there. And the best deterrent, however, is a good offense, not necessarily a good defense. And so you have to stay on fire for Jesus. That's obviously totally number one. But even with all that, temptation is still there. Proverbs 25, 28, it's not in your notes. It says says this, follow up to 1 Thessalonians 4. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. An enemy to your soul is when you can't have self-control. An enemy to your soul is when you can't have self-control. When you don't have self-control, you're like, you're like a, a city without walls. Anybody can get in. You know, you're a temple. This is a temple. And it's got all kinds of entry points into your life. And so if you don't close the windows, shut the doors, lock the key, put up certain you know, barriers to protect, guard your heart, guard your mind in Christ Jesus, the Bible tells us to do that, then we become susceptible. A couple of weeks ago, I did a message for those of you who are here at SNL called Open Doors. How many were here for Open Doors when I talked about that? Yeah, and, and uh, if you weren't, you need, uh, it's a little rough, but it, it, it'll, it was an eye-opener for a lot of people. But, but basically, um, there are just different ways that the enemy can wreak havoc on our life, and we don't realize, and there's nothing that opens doors to your life more than sexual immorality. Nothing. Uh, this is not in my notes, but a lot of times, most of the stuff I've said is not in my notes, just in case you're wondering. Uh, but, but a lot of times when people are praying for people, there's a whole doctrine of the laying on of hands. Some of you heard of that. And there's different 
aspects to this doctrine. Sometimes it's for the presbytery to anoint and appoint a new leaders. Other times it's for the recovery of sickness and pray for people. But one of the common understandings of this particular teaching is you don't, it's, the Bible says don't lay hands on anyone suddenly. And one of the aspects of that particular teaching is you don't want to lay hands on somebody because whatever is in you or in them can be transferred. It's a spiritual transfer, right? So that, that in the back of your brain, there's something that can happen to us when sexually when we join either visually, emotionally, or, 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 or physically with another person. You have no idea what's coming from them into your life, and you have no idea what's going from your life into them, and that's just not right. It's selfish. It's selfish, and it destroys you, and it can destroy them in the process. So what do we do? We have to learn to walk away from that. What does that look like? We have to learn to control our body. What does that look like? We have to learn to overcome temptation. Put this in your notes. This is bonus somewhere, okay? Are you guys getting something out of this out there? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, verse 1 and 3. I wasn't going to do this, but I took a little thing out that I was going to do, and I want to put this in. It says this. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude. So Christ suffered, and the scripture is saying, arm yourself with that same mentality, that same mindset, that same way of thinking. Because, this is encouragement, whoever suffers in his body is done with sin. In other words, it's under your heel, you killed it, crucified it. It actually was denial of self. If you can suffer in your body, and I would submit to you, for a short season, you can crush the power of sin over your life. As a result, the Bible says they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. There's the will of God. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what unchristian, non-Christian, in this case says pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and all kinds of detestable idolatries. So how do you do that? Let me, let me demonstrate this, okay? This is, this, is, this is mouthwash. This is a bowl. Now, I was trying to think about how to, how to explain this, but I, I did this with kids like literally 20 years ago. Now, the parallel to overcoming temptation or being able to suffer in the flesh, similar to... Um, um, I should have had Listerine because it would have been more. I want you to imagine this being Listerine, okay? Much more, much more potent, all right? But, but germs in our mouth uh, synonymous with temptation, okay? When you think of germs, I want you to think of temptation. Everywhere, are there not germs everywhere in this world? Yeah, but sometimes they're on location, right? Like, you're like, yeah, my neighbor's breath right now could kill someone, right? Yeah. I'm getting smitten right now, all right? So how do, you, how do you overcome the germs that are in your mouth? Sometimes you have to do something to kill it, to crucify it, right? And so you put a little bit of this in there. All right. I had to go through a little bit of the burn. I just couldn't put it in there, spit it out right away because it didn't kill the germs. You have to keep it in there. I don't know if this is scientific, but just work with me. You have to keep it in there long enough to go through that burn. Have you ever done Listerine and you get to that burn and what do you do? Right away, like a little wuss, you spit it out of your mouth. <laughs> like, oh my God! 
You need to go through the burn. And then if you get through that burn, there's a place where all of a sudden it's like, oh, you killed it. You killed it. You're done with the germs. So sometimes we, I've got this, this idea that, first of all, temptation sin, which is not, but we're all going to be tempted. But when we're tempted, we think, I can't handle it. I've already sinned because I'm tempted. You haven't sinned because you're tempted. You have to go through this, this temporary suffering. And what you do is you've got to apply something to that sin, to that germ, to kill it, to crucify it, and let it burn for just a little bit and crush it and crucify it, and put it under, and get the victory over that particular situation. Does that make sense to anybody out there? Kill the temptation before it roots in your life and spreads. The Bible goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians 4, um, who do not know, not in passionate lust like the pagans, actually stats show there's no difference between Christians and non-Christians in sexual immorality, which is very sad who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of his brother or sister. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. I'm actually going to talk to the ladies about that. But the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. So let me give you five lies about sex. Okay, here we go. Jesus, uh, if I had, I wish I had like Corey Hart sunglasses on right now. You know, dark black, I wear my sunglasses, so I don't have to look at everybody. All right, five lies about sex. Number one, oral sex. He said it. Oral sex isn't sex. There's a lie for you, okay? Pastor, you can't talk about this. This is church. Listen, um, you know, the world talks about it all the time. School, you talk about it all the time. People think this stuff all the time, want to know these things all the time. So let me talk about it in two contexts, outside marriage and inside marriage, okay? Outside of marriage, uh, it's sexual immorality. And some people think, you know, in culture today, it's like, it's like the scapegoat. Well, I didn't do this intercourse, but I did this, so it's okay. And, and somebody might disagree here with that. And, and let's just, let's, let's, again, let's take the Bible out of it for one second. And let's just say you want to go on a date with a girl. And on that date, you're, you're, you would love to be able to kiss this girl at the end of that night. But, but, but as, as you're getting ready to go on that date, you get a phone call and you hear that she, the night before, was out with four of your buddies and gave them oral sex. All of a sudden, you don't want to kiss that girl. So is it okay? Is it suddenly okay now? We all know it's not okay. We all know it's not okay. We wouldn't be okay with that. We all know it's outside. Now, inside marriage, let's talk about that. The truth is, I can't say that inside marriage it's a sin. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews that the marriage bed is pure and undefiled. Pure and undefiled. In other words, this is, this is the translation of that. Whatever a couple agrees upon mutually is okay. You say, really? Oh, my gosh. Wow. Listen, listen, I'm going to go up a notch on this. The Song of Solomon addresses this subject. It's in the Bible. The woman says, come on, blow on my garden and taste its choice fruits. I don't know if you think that's roses in the backyard and, and a fruit basket that was dropped off on the front porch, but that ain't what it's talking about right there, okay? Some of you are having your mind blown right now. Okay. All right. Next lie. I got to move quickly. <laughs> Lord, 
nothing is wrong with masturbation. <clears throat> this is a lie as well. Some people won't say this word out loud, certainly not in church. Listen to this. Statistics reveal that 99%, 99% of men struggle with this area. The 1% lie. Okay? So let's get that out. Just so that we don't get the women off the hook, 50% of women struggle in this area. And, 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 and what's interesting is, let me ask you this. Why, we talk, we, like, so somebody's nervous, I get. You probably came for the first time, like, oh, my gosh, I can't even believe I'm at church. But why should a church avoid an issue that 99% of the, the men struggle with and 50% of the women struggle with? Why should we avoid that? I, that just, that doesn't make sense to me. It's because of fear. And I'm just not totally afraid. Okay? All right. Here's some common thoughts about this that I hear. Just, just a, I, I can't do all these things today. I, I, we only had one message for this, so we need a series, and I've done it, but we'll do it again. Um, what am I supposed to do, um, Pastor, when I'm on a trip and I'm away from my wife for four or five days? I mean, come on. What are you supposed to do with that? I mean, what do you want me to cheat on my wife? No. I want you to exercise self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, that's what that's talking about in Galatians 5.22. I thought it was part of a song. It's, it's, it's called self-control. That's why we have to learn to control. Here's, here's another thought of that. So, sir, take that all the way out. And I'm not wishing this upon anybody, but somebody's probably been in this situation, might even be in this situation. Your wife, years later, contracts a, some kind of a sickness or disease or a problem or something like that, and she can't be intimate with you anymore. Do you know that that mentality that she, your wife is responsible for your personal satisfaction could lead you down a very negative path and ultimately even leave her. Your union has to be much stronger and have a commitment that's much greater than your selfish needs. That's why who am I trying to please? Am I trying to please myself or am I trying to please God? I'm not saying it's not, it's easy. I'm just saying that to justify that is wrong, is wrong. People say like this, um, you know, I, I want to throw this question. Can you masturbate without lusting? I don't think so. I think you're lying if you think you, are, you can. Because uh, the core of it is pleasing oneself. And I, I've ne never met anyone who didn't struggle. My father used to try to get me to uh, think about it differently. He says, you know, son, every time you do that, it's killing brain cells. Anyway, I just thought that was clever. <laughs> it's clever. I got another one I can't share. But anyway, see me after. Um, all right, here's the next one. Homosexuality is not a big deal. Homosexuality is not a big deal. This one I, I want to enter with, with, with total sensitivity, okay? Because I have friends who, ha who, who believe they were born that way, uh, feel they're cursed that way, struggle with it. Um, and, and, I, and I present this, you know, with as much sensitivity with as little time as, as I have. Um, the Bible has a lot to say about this subject. And, or not a lot, but it speaks of it very strongly and very directly. Uh, it clearly communicates it's a sin. And however, I want to put it in context because people get really fired up about this and uh, sometimes are really indifferent, too, about other things. And what's interest to me, interesting to me is a lot of people want me to talk about it. Yeah, that's a sin. And it is. Okay? I want to make that clear. But the same people are looking at pornography. They're masturbating. They're, you know... Drinking, smoking, chewing, all kinds of things. They're doing all kinds of other things, cursing. They're abusing the temple of the Holy Spirit through gluttony. Do you know gluttony is a sin? You say, well, that's not the same. Well, it's against the temple. See, sexual sin and gluttony are both against the temple. So you want them to stop that, and I want you to, God's saying, put down the Twinkies. 
So what's, is it to God? It's, it's his temple. It was bought with a price. And you're, you're not doing it the way he said you should do it. And, and, and I also want to say to the church, our church specifically, that, that uh, an emphasis for us at Connect is we're not going to emphasize public confrontation, but private conversation. In other words, we're not going to not address tough subjects that the Bible addresses. I'm doing it right now in a measure. But to actually see true transformation and life change, the word of God has to be planted like a seed and allowed to germinate and grow. You know how that happens? In relationship. But most people are saying, we have to agree on right and wrongs before we're going to have a relationship. We do not believe that here. We believe we can accept you as you are and still not agree with you. So my first message to the homosexual community, uh, who I care about, and I didn't used to. I didn't used to. I had issues. I had homophobic issues that I had to work through. Sad. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that. But I had to get my heart right that God loves the homosexual community. And it should, we, there, are, there, there are people that are influenced by this church. And I, we should be doing everything we can to build bridges, not walls. And, and anybody in other areas of struggle, whether you agree it's sin or not sin, you, that's between you and God. It's not my job to, 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 to just communicate what I think he's saying, what I believe he's saying from the Bible. It's the Holy Spirit's job to bring conviction and life change, not mine. So I'm not going to spend all my time policing people's behavior and make sure they're doing this or not doing that. I'm going to communicate what I think God says, and I'm going to leave it between them and God whether they're going to do it. And you know what I found? In a culture like that, people want to change instead of have to change. And more people have decided who were cohabitating, which, by the way, is sexual immorality as well. I want to get married now. I want to please God. Not because we judged them and said, oh, you guys, hey, ho, hey, hey, ho. No, I don't think that's the way to actually influence people. And I'm sorry and sad at how much the church has abused this community and emphasized the wrong message first. And, and they flipped it and said, oh, here's truth. Instead of here's grace. Jesus was really, really gracious to people who didn't believe like he did. But he was very successful in getting them to see it like he did. That's what I want to be like. I hope you do too. Amen? All right, the next one is looking and or, or is looking a sin or lusting a sin. I heard people say a little bit of porn won't hurt you. <laughs> Everybody's doing it. That's one guy said to me down at the gym just the other day. Everybody's doing it. Come on, PD. Everybody's doing it. I said, not everybody. I said, I'm not saying that I didn't. I'm just saying I don't. Come on. Come on. And, and you know, it's not really hurting anybody anyway. It's a lie. You know what it's affecting at the fundamental level? It's affecting this relationship and this relationship. It's affecting intimacy. It's a breach of intimacy. The real thing that people want, that God wanted for you, actually, he created sex for procreation, pleasure, unity. The highest benefit of sexual un union is unity. It, and, and under that, it, in that arena is, is intimacy. It's where somebody, it's, it's the naked truth of who you are. It's when here's who I really am, all my warts, you know, foils, fumbles, failures, all that kind of stuff. Here's who I really am. God, you love me? That's when you're blown away, and that's when you want to do things to please God because he can love you as you are. It's the same thing he wants you to see and experience in a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex. And so pornography 
disrupts and dismantles true intimacy and the potential for unity, which is what God wants for you. So quiet in here. So quiet in here. Hey, let, let, let me put it to you this way, and this is something that I heard years ago. Where, where sin, you can write this down, where sin lives, intimacy dies. Where intimacy lives, sin dies. So the best way to destroy the power of sin is to turn up the intimacy, to turn up the intimacy. And I'll explain that in a little bit. And pursuit is the key here. It's because it's destroying you to look at that stuff. It's creating distortion. It's changing your reality. Oh, it doesn't affect me. Listen, I know it affects you. It affects me. I can remember the first exposure I ever had to pornography. I can remember it vividly today. I'm not thinking about it right now, so don't get nervous, everybody. Okay? It's like, what? Um... Listen to this, 43% of internet users view porn, 53% of Christian men view porn, 17% of all women view porn, this is horrible, this next statistic, parents pay attention, 90% of children between the ages of 8 and 16 years have viewed porn online while doing homework. And here's the, here's the killers of porn. You might want to write this down too. This is what porn does. This is, this is how porn gets in there. It's four A's. Affordability, accessibility, anonymity, aggressive. Affordability, accessibility, anonymous, and aggressive. What do you say aggressive? Because it's always pursuing you even when you're not pursuing it. Always. Constantly. Always coming after you. And the Bible tells us to flee. Run, forest, run. Flee youthful lusts, 2 Timothy 2.22. And so for married couples, the best defense against lust is a vibrant, active sex life. God created sex. Let us worship. <laughs> All the men are like, amen, amen, right? It was his idea, okay? All right, singles. The best defense against lust is a vibrant relationship with God, strong friendships, same gender for encouragement, finding and living your purpose. I believe purpose protects and regular accountability. Whoo, okay. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. All right, I'm going to move on. I want to say something just real quick about just women on, on something. There's a scripture, and it basically tells, it tells you that... Um, be careful not to wrong your brother or your sister with regards to how we uh, present ourselves. And how do I say this? But basically, ladies, um, there's a difference between dressing attractive and dressing to attract. Dressing attractive and dressing to attract. And women often push back and just say, well, when, you know, pastor, men are just pigs and perverts. And I completely agree. Okay, uh, you could put, some women, you could put a purple curtain on top of a woman, and the guy would be like, you see that purple curtain? Oh my gosh. I know, I know, the purple curtain, whoa. Uh, but ladies, when you dress in such a way that a man doesn't have to guess, I'm going to be very clear, your bra size, uh, let's call it what it is. Some women say, well, why do men stare at me like a piece of meat? Because you put yourself in the meat case. So I'm, I'm preaching up in here. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I'm saying dress nice. Dress nice. Dress attract, but don't dress to attract. Listen, men have enough trouble between Monday through Saturday not to have to come in on Sunday, okay, try to worship God and have to worship something else. 
and think about it, ladies, do you, the way you're, you're modeling that for your, your girls. Do you want guys, middle school, high school, boys, lusting after your daughters? I have to think about this all the time. I pulled my girls aside just a couple days ago. I'm like, hey, listen up. You know, hold up before you go out the door. Okay, next, uh, <laughs> last one. <laughs> I'm way over. Swinging, swinging improves marriage. Okay, whatever. Do I really need to go here? But anyway, we got a swing in our backyard, but it didn't improve anything, okay? (laughs) There was a TV show. (laughs) I don't know where that came from. There was a, uh, oh man, I swore I wasn't going to get to... Do blush up here. Okay. There was a show a while back. It was called Swingtown. I don't remember that, but it was just, you know, I'll sleep with your wife, you sleep with my wife, and as long as it's consensual, it's okay. And, uh, you know, your wisdom, your opinion can never trump God's word. Okay? So let me just say it like that. Marriage is between one woman and one man, and, and some guys are saying, well, that's so boring. Well, then you're not doing it right. Okay? You're not doing it right, all right? All right, last point, last question. Am I knowingly rejecting God's instruction? Am I knowingly rejecting God's instruction? Some people are like, you know, thinking when, when pastors talk about, I wish so-and-so was here, I wish so-and-so was here. Listen, you're here. You need to listen to this. Oh, I've heard this before. You might need to hear it again. And again, are you living the last time, the message you heard last time now? Maybe you need to hear it. Maybe God's saying that to you. Have you ever got a little self-righteous before? I'm sure none of you have. I can remember, I can remember when I was a kid, and we, I was raising it. My dad and I were like the, the very health-oriented people, but we had our binge moments when we were growing up. And I can remember judging my father because, you know, he'd go, you know, well, first he started judging me, so I want to make that clear, all right? <laughs> I went into the cupboard, you know, we're on this diet or fast or something, and I'd sneak into the kitchen, open the cupboard, and i start eating oatmeal raisin cookies. And he comes in, busts me, starts reading me the riot act, quoting scripture, blah, blah, blah. Well, later on, in the middle of the night, I heard him going down the hallway. I got out of my covers, ding, 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 went down the hallway. I see him in the refrigerator. He's got, like, deli meat in a mayonnaise jar going like this. Whole thing of Pringles. He's just eating it by the sleeve. I'm like, ha, ha! When it comes to sexual morality, we're always looking at others, and we need to look at ourselves. Right? First Thessalonians 4, 7 through 8 says, God has called us to live holy lives. Holy doesn't mean boring, by the way. Not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules, listen to this, it's tough. It's not, a disobeying, it's not disobeying human teaching, but he's rejecting God. One of the best motivations for me not to fail my wife is to look at her like a person and realize in fact, when I go on a trip sometimes, I did this in the early years all the time, when I was trying to overcome in certain things that I was struggling with, I would take a picture of my family, and I would put it on the TV in the hotel where I was. You know why? Because I wanted to visualize the destruction if I, if, I, if I crossed the line on that stupid boob tube to see altered boob. And I want to be like, you know, who I'm, you know how I'm hurting? You know how I'm displeasing? You know how I'm rejecting right now? Her and my son and my three beautiful girls who are looking at me.
But you're rejecting God, and you need to see him like a person. And if you have a personal relationship with him, your intimacy is being affected when you don't personalize it. You said, looking at everybody else, what they're doing, look at you and look at what it does to him, not it. Not just a scripture, a person, a person. It'll keep you pure. Ephesians 5 says, but among you there must not be even a hint, a smidge of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. And the only way to get out of that pattern, I think, is, is certainly to personalize it and then to personally repent for those kind of things. And so I was thinking about how can I provide some help for people who struggle in this area, certainly in short order. I, my daughter, years ago, I remember vividly, I was just thinking about this when I was preparing this message. And, and, and since everything's been graphic, I'm going to finish graphic. But I, I, for years, I didn't change my kids. <laughs> for years, for months, I didn't change my, my daughter Mallory's diaper. I was just like scared. She was so little and fragile, you know. And I can remember getting over that, and I was changing Mallory's diaper one time, and and uh, they had those diaper genies. I don't know if they still have those today, but you just could pack, you know, a whole lot of <laughs> inside that, and then uh, just kind of cover it over, you know. And I went over to wash my hands, and and Mallory had got her diaper on, and and. Um, she got in the diaper genie, and she's trying to lift this thing up, you know, and, and I'm like, honey, you, you, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking, you know, in my head, I said, honey, you, you can't pick up your mess. You're not, you're not capable of handling all of that, and, and, and the Holy Spirit in that crazy little moment was like, that's why I sent my son, because you can't handle or pick up the mess in all your life either. There's a lot of mess that needs to be cleaned up, a lot of things you can't carry by yourself. And she couldn't, and you can't. And I don't know if you, you feel like that with this whole area. You could feel like it's such a mess. And you have to start with repentance. And you have to then ask for help. And then you have to fight. You have to fight. I, wanna, I want you to pray for you. If, you. if you would mind, if you'd stand on your feet, let me pray for you. Did you get something out of this? Oh, I hope so. I want to remind you that there's no, there's no greater sin that has the potential to destroy your life in sexual sin. And I don't want you ever to feel judged when you come here. I don't, I, I want it to be such an environment where you could speak truth, but then, but then you could be just so real. Like, I don't, I hope, I have to find the, the line between vulnerability and indiscretion. And I'm always fighting to find that line for you. But I'm just saying, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a man just, just like some of you. And, and I, I'm a human being just like some of you. And I struggle with the same, the same things that you can struggle with. But there, there's, there's, it is, it is possible to overcome and live sanctified in this particular area. But it does require that you apply the truth that you're hearing, that you learn to control your body. That you personalize the relationship and realize that it's not for somebody else, it's for me. And repent. And repent doesn't mean just go say I'm sorry and then go right back to it. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I need to do. I'm going to get help. I'm going to talk to somebody. So you might, and I'm just going to ask the leaders to come down now. Just be ready. But you might need to get prayer today. Just talk to somebody. Don't leave. Maybe You might need to not leave today before you talk to somebody and say, just pray for me. You don't have to tell them all your junk. Just tell them I struggle with sexual sin. I, I need to get free. What, what, what's, what's the next step for me? Can you pray for me? I encourage you to do that. And you might need to go, you know, like, not have that lunch tomorrow morning with that girl. You might need to go throw something away, like a computer or phone, call a cable company and stay online for 24 hours, but get it done. So some stuff's prayer, some stuff is action. I believe it's both. Amen?
Would you close your eyes and let me pray for you? Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every person that's in this room that there be no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, just like my son said earlier. But conviction where necessary because worldly sorrow leads to regret. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And I pray, Lord, there be repentant hearts in this room that realize that what he's saying is true. And, and I want it to be truth in the inner parts, inside of me, from in, the, in the deepest registers of my life. I want to live in a way that pleases God and not pleases me. If you're here today and maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you never surrendered your life to him personally, you never actually just crossed that line, and for some reason, even in a message like this, you're just saying, you know what, I feel the love of God, even though this is really strong, and I want to respond to that love of God, and I can't clean up my mess by myself, and there's a whole bunch of other things that are messed up, Pastor, but I, I, I know only Jesus can, can, can fix that mess and clean up that mess. He's the only one that can pick up, pick up the diaper genie of my life. And I'm here today, and I want him to do that. I'm going to invite him into my life. If you're here today, you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, he wants to turn your mess into your message. Your future is dependent on you making this initial connection with Christ. If you're there, would you say, that's me, Pastor? Raise my hand. That's me. That's me. Is there anybody that says that's me? God bless you. Thank you so much, sister. Is there anybody else that says that's me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus came for one. He came for all. Church, would you just pray this with me? And that person that raised your hand, would you pray this? Say, Jesus, come into my life today. I surrender my life to you afresh, not just as my Savior, but as my Lord. That means that I want to be sanctified, pure, blameless, holy. And I thank you because of what you did, your righteousness, that I can be made righteous. Now help me to walk that out. Not denying myself, excuse me, not in self-denial, but in denial of self, empowered by your love and grace. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap all over the place.